0: So as I said, it is December the first. It is Christmas. So we're gonna talk about Christmas. Yeah. Everyone up for that? Yeah. Brilliant. Um so we're gonna get in the um we're gonna get in the Christmas spirit a little bit here. I'm gonna show a clip of a particular T V show. Michael, if we could have that loaded up please, that'd be great. Just to get set set the tone for the day. Any Gavin and Stacey fans in the house? <laughs> Everyone looking forward to the Christmas Day special? So, if you're wondering why I showed that clip, um, it's actually because obviously they're singing the words to band they do they know it's Christmas time? And that song was originally written to highlight the fact that there was famine and um, mass starvation in, I think it was Ethiopia or the wider Africa uh, continent. And uh, as you can see, it's kind of been turned into a bit of a Christmas sing-along. How many people have started listening to Christmas songs? Yep, yep, quite a few of us. I have. And it fits in quite nice with Shaking Stevens and um, Chris Ria, who's still driving home for Christmas, I believe. He's still stuck somewhere. Um, And I wonder, if we lose the meaning of things like Christmas songs, can we actually lose the meaning of Christmas in amongst all the tradition and the commercialization of it. And I'm not saying the traditions are bad. You know, you know what I'm saying? Joe's already put his tree up. Has anyone else put their tree up? Yep, some people have. We, we're putting ours up this afternoon. Um, so, after Norwich play, that's right. Yep, that's true, the priorities. Um, and I'm not saying these are bad things, go nuts. You know, you're, you're not gonna be inviting demonic forces into your house if you put your Christmas tree up, that sort of thing. I'm not trying to be a Scrooge here. I'm saying go crazy with the Christmas traditions. I love them, everyone loves them, enjoy them. But that is essentially not what Christmas is about. And what I do wonder is sometimes we can lose the emphasis on what Christmas is truly about amongst all the traditions, as I said. So, so nowadays, I think we see an increase in us wanting to defend our faith. We feel like we need to defend our faith a bit more. So at Christmas, Michael, if we could have that image up, there it is. We tend to put things like this on Instagram. Tis the the reason for the season. And yeah, it's cute, it's clever. Um, I'm not saying don't do this, but I'm saying be prepared to explain it. Because um, what does this mean to someone who's never set foot in a church? What does it mean to someone who has never heard any of the Christmas story? And we're like, yep, I've done my evangelism for the year. I've put my picture up on Instagram. That's cool. That's me done. But uh, what does this mean? Because um, something I've learned over the last f- few years I mean, I became a Christian when I was 29, only a couple years ago now. Um, and I, I knew quite a lot of the, what I thought was the Christmas story before them, but I didn't know it all. But I've heard, Lived assuming that everyone has that same sort of basic knowledge of the Christmas story, but I was at Bible school in Watford a few years back, and we did some sort of outreach stuff to promote our Christmas service. And you're just stopping people in the street and asking, "What's Christmas about to you?" And they're like, "Oh, it's about having the family around, It's about having turkey. It's about um, watching TV all day." By the way, if you don't watch, if you watch Christmas day TV, make sure you watch The Queen, because she's one of the greatest evangelists you ever hear. So don't ever skip over that. Um, and that's the sort of answers I was getting, like, about family, and about turkey, and all this stuff. And none of that's wrong, in the sense that that is what we do on Christmas Day, and that's fine. But people didn't seem to understand, didn't realize that there was a, a wider meaning to Christmas. And hardly anyone brought up the fact that it was a religious ceremony and they just don't know. And then, so our response to that is to give them a little snapshot of the gospel in about 30 seconds, which again, isn't wrong to do, but be prepared again to explain it. Because there'll be, the most common response to that is, um, well, that's great for you, but I'm not religious. And so then we come out with another cute little uh, evangelistic, line. well, I'm not religious either, but because I follow Jesus. And that means nothing to these people who know nothing about church. So while Jesus is the reason for the season, maybe we need to personalize this part of the message a bit more because as I said, these people think this is just some 2000 year old fairy tale that we believe in, but we need to make that more about our experience of Jesus in our lives. So we need to be explaining to people that yes, Jesus is not only the reason for the season, but it's also the reason for the hope that I have when I should be hopeless. It's the reason for the joy that I have when I should be down and out. It's the reason for the peace that I have when my world is falling around me, falling apart around me. And then we need to explain to them what that means, give them testimonies of what's happened in our lives where we can turn around and say, well, actually, this is the Jesus I believe in, not some ancient myth. So that begs the question is um, what we know about the, the traditional Christmas story, how much of it is based on what is in the Bible, and how much is it is based on the traditions that we've culturally got around Christmas? How much is it um, matches up with what the true story is? And so with that in mind, I'm going to look at what I personally think is one of the most fascinating parts of, of the nativity story which is the arrival of the wise men. Um, So you you know how the story goes. Um, Herod's decreed a census, so Mary, who's pregnant, been told by the angel that she's pregnant with God's child. Um, She, uh, her and Joseph pack up and go to Bethlehem. There's no room at the inn, so they have the baby, baby Jesus. Then the shepherds turn up after they've been appeared to in the an, in the fields and by the angels, and, and they come and worship, and, and you know it's all nice and there's animals there and everything, and then these three wise these three strangers turn up, and it's a really bewildering part of the story because it's just like why are they even there? And tradition says that there are three of them, that they're kings, and if you believe the Christmas carol that we sing. That they came from the Orient, and I want to tell you that, you know, that might not necessarily be true when we look at the actual Bible story. Thing. So we're going to read Matthew two, verse one to twelve. If you have your Bibles with me, with you, I, I shamefully forgot to bring my paper copy, so I am uh, going to read it from my app. So it goes like this. Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi, or wise men, that's the same word, uh, from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them, as soon as you find him report to me so that I may t- I too may go and worship him after they had heard the king they went on their way and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was when they saw the star they were overjoyed on coming to the house they saw the child with his mother mary and then bowed down and worshiped him Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. Uh, So that's the only appearance the wise men make in the whole of the Bible. They're not in any of the other um, Gospels. And the reason for that is probably that Matthew's Gospel is written specifically towards religious Jews, pointing out the fact that Jesus is the fulfillment of Old Testament Scripture, uh, Old Testament prophecies. So firstly you may have noticed in that passage that when they arrive Mary and the and the and Jesus Jesus is now a child he's not a baby and they're in a house they're not in them they're not in a stable and there's no shepherds or anyone else there it's just Mary and the and the child Jesus um so this would indicate that, that they didn't turn up at the birth so I'm sorry to say the ch- nice cute kids nativity plays that we do uh are wrong. They don't match up with scripture. There's nothing wrong with that. You know, it's just a kids play, so I'm not going to get too fussy about that right now. But um <laughs> So, w- if you read Matthew 2:16, a few more verses down, I think we still got that one as well. Yeah. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem and its vicinity who were 2 years old and under in accordance with what with the time he had learned from the Magi. Christmas! Yay! There's a verse you don't really get. There's part of the story you don't really see in the uh, nativity plays, is there, that bit? But um, what it says is that Jesus is as much as two years old at this point. So first things first, how do we know they are wise men? Well, when they first get to Jerusalem, what's the first thing they do? They ask... For directions. Hmm. Now, you know, believe it or not, if you're a younger person in the room, there was a time before satnavs were invented, and I remember as a kid, my dad would um, have this massive route map thing, and he would learn the routes off by heart. And um, when he went wrong, instead of stopping and asking someone where we are, he would p- he would just stop the car. And my poor old mum would have to be hunting through this route map thing to find out where we are and where we're going again. And me and my brother would just be sitting in the back just saying, just ask someone. And he'd be like, no, I'm right, they're wrong. it's chaos, absolute chaos. He still doesn't use the sat nav, by the way. He still does this. And the second reason we know they're wise men is because they bring the right gifts. Have you ever done this before, men in the room? It gets to Christmas and you just despair with shopping after about 10 minutes and you just go and buy anything that you think is suitable for your partner or parents or whoever. These guys know that they're coming to see a particular person and they bring exactly the right gifts for that person that, that will match his character. And we'll get to the gifts in a minute, but, you know, they're wiser men than me, let's put it that way. So what, so how did they get there? The scripture says that they followed the star, OK? Jill's laughing at me in the front row there. Like, I've al- I've always bought Jill really good presents, by the way. I'm just going to throw that out there. There's not a single one that I've ever been pointless or. Yeah, she agrees, obviously agrees, yeah. <laughs> so the Bible says that they came from the east. Um, so east of Israel obviously what we would now would call the Islamic world. At the time, Islam didn't exist. So um, they were more than likely from the kingdom of Persia, which is modern-day Iraq, Iran, that sort of area. And we know that because um, the, the religion at the time, which I can't pronounce, so I'm not even going to bother trying, um, used astronomy and astrology as a guide. So they'll be looking for signs in the stars of events that are going to happen, and then they and somehow this star right, uh, turns up, and they're like, "Yes, this is a sign that there is going to be a major world event happening." So um, they are more than likely they were priests of this religion. That's the best bet as to who they were. So they, they follow this star, and the interesting about is, and we don't really think about this too much is what that means is God is using the star to get these people's attention. And it just makes you wonder, doesn't it, that God can use anything he wants to get people's attention. And if he wants to, he can use you and I to get people's attention. And and at this time of the year, there might be people in your world who are particularly thinking about. Um, Christmas and what it means. And they m- might be waiting for that star, that moment to appear. So it might, and that person may well be looking for a sign. So that might be, that might be you inviting them to church. It might be you sitting down with them, having a coffee with them and talking to them about Jesus. So maybe just be on the, on the lookout for people at this time of year who are searching So Herod, the king, they turn up, they speak to Herod. Now, Herod is the king of, of the Jew. He is the king of Israel. But he is a puppet king installed by the Romans. But they turn up and say, well, we want to worship the king. Well, he's probably like, well, that's me. Here I am. I'm the king. And they're like, no, no, no. We want to worship the actual king. So, You know, we're in the middle, obviously. I don't know if you've noticed, but we're in the middle of a general election campaign. Um, A couple weeks' time, either Boris Johnson or Jeremy Corbyn. (sighs) I despair. Um, One of those who will be prime minister of his country, more than likely. Unless there's a Lib Dem surge or something like that, which I can't see happening. But even though they are the head, they are the person in authority, they are our prime minister, there's still a king above them. And Jesus is still the king that we serve. So, anyway, Herod is the king of the Jews. And, they, uh, and he asked them about him, like, who is this child? And the scribes of the day read the prophet Micah, which, by the way, if you weren't aware, was written 500 years before these events took place. And in some translations, not the ones I, I read, but in some translations, there's a mention of a, a baby from the Ancient of Days who will come forth from the Ancient of Days. Which means this baby isn't just a normal child. He is a a person who has existed in eternity. So he's obviously going to be a special, unique child. So Herod sends them on their way because he obviously wants to trick them into telling them where the baby is so he can go and slaughter all the children because he's nice like that. Um, And the star reappears and they follow it with great joy. And when they arrive at the house, where I said there's just Mary and the child, Jesus, Joseph must be out doing the shopping or something, and um, they bow, or in some ways, in some translations it says they kneel down. This is where we get the concept of kneeling, kneeling into a king from. And they worship him and present him with gifts. Now imagine what this is like for Mary. She must have been like, what is going on? This is crazy. Who are these guys? I've already had shepherds bowing down to me. I've already had angels telling me who my son's going to be. And now these guys turn up, who are not Jews. This is a really important part of the thing to remember. They are not Jews. They haven't come there because of Jewish prophecies. They've come here because they follow the star in, in the sky. And then they bow down, and they worship this child. Um. And it fills them with great joy. It's like they know who this child is, even though, as I said, they're not Jews. It's amazing that, as I said, God can use anyone. But they present him with gifts. I'm just going to sort of cover the significance of the gifts for a moment. So gold it's relatively obvious in that it's a gift for... Royalty, it's a gift for kings. Um, uh, But if, you know, the tradition states that these men may well have been kings themselves, and it's not, you know, it doesn't say that in the scripture, it just says that in tradition, but it may well be true. So this takes on even more significance that these kings turn up with a regal gift of gold, and then they do this. And they lay down their gift of gold, and they're kneeling to this child. So this is significant, because it's a king, potentially a king, bowing before the king of kings. Oh, I shouldn't do that too much. My needle giveaway. way. Um, and um, I read a quote once by Queen Victoria. Uh, she just heard a sermon about Uh, the second coming of christ and she said how she wishes she was the reigning monarch when jesus returns so she can be the first monarch to bow down and present him with her crown i think that's amazing Um, but i sometimes wonder how many times do we try to be our own kings and we keep our own crowns on when in reality we should be just doing exactly the same and just bowing down and giving Jesus our crowns. Whatever situation we're in, we try to control it, but maybe we should be just be giving it to Jesus. Yeah. And then comes frankincense. I have to be careful I don't say Frankenstein, because sometimes I do, accidentally. Yeah. Or it just incense, as is often, often referred to in the Bible. Now, incense was one of the aromas that was used was to... Um, Sorry, it's one of the spices that was used to create an aroma that was in used in the temple, which was pleasing to the Lord. So they're presenting him with incense as well, which means not only is he a king, but, you know, you're the Lord. You're not just a king, you're the Lord of all. You're not just an earthly king, you're, you're also God himself. And obviously when you... Um, Light the incense, and it produces the aroma that's pleasing to the Lord. that also means that it welcomes the presence of the Lord. so sometimes I wonder whether if they lit the incense there and then because they were in the presence of the Lord. Yeah. I think this christmas uh you know we need to remember that Christmas is about the presence of God it's not about presence presence. Yeah. Um, and I think those of us who have families and stuff, we need to make sure our homes, as I said earlier, while celebrating the traditions, are all about making the presence of God known in our homes this Christmas. So make a tangible presence of God. We're going to celebrate everything about Christmas, but mainly we're going to celebrate the coming of Jesus. And then we get the sort of third one, the third one being myrrh, which actually um, it's a bit of a random one, really. Because certainly to Mary it would have been, because myrrh was a spice that was used in embalming oil of dead corpses. So they're saying like, yes, you're the king, yes, you're the lord, but they're also prophetically saying that somehow and in some way, this child's death is going to somehow be more, almost more significant than his birth. Um, Because obviously, yes, Jesus coming as a child, is a God himself, the creator of the universe, coming to us as a child is great. I need to be really careful how I phrase this, but if he had just grown and died in old age, would we be able to celebrate joining with him in eternity, or just you know, do you see what I mean? I'm trying not to get the theology wrong on this because, you know. but I'm like, if it w- we get to call ourselves Christians because of what happened at Easter, Jesus died and then he was resurrected, so it's almost like his death overshadows his birth in some way or another, which is even more amazing. So you'll notice, So at this point, there's one group of people who Jesus hasn't appeared to at this point. He's he's appeared to the poor of Israel, the shepherds. He's appeared to the Gentiles, the wise men. Who hasn't he appeared to? It's the religious people of Israel. And um, we here... As I said earlier about us defending our faith more at the moment, I've heard people say, well, if you're, if you're not a Christian, you shouldn't, you shouldn't celebrate Christmas. And I'm like, I can see why people are saying that. I get that. But that's not what Christmas is about. We should never be striving to keep Jesus within the four walls of the church. Because he didn't just come for us. He came for all of humanity. Mm. Uh, everyone across the planet has the right to celebrate Christmas. We've just got to get better at explaining the story to them. Mm. So that's our role this year is, it's, it's up to us to be the star that guides the people towards Jesus. That's what we're here for at Christmas. And that might be, as I said, inviting people to Christmas services. It might be, or it might be more personal than that. It might be taking them out for a coffee and finding out where they're at in their life. So, uh, band, do you want to come up? It's a little bit shorter than normal, but I just wanted to start the Christmas season with a little challenge for us all. the challenge I've got for every single person in this room who calls himself a part of Faith Church. If you don't, fine. If you're not a Christian, ignore me. That's fine. Um, If you are a Christian and you go to another church, maybe you can take this with you as well. The challenge is simply this. Can we be a church that enjoys the traditions of Christmas? So we have a great Christmas service and everything that comes with that. But can we make sure that the true Christmas story is our priority at this time of year. So what I mean is can we all say today that we're going to say to God as a pledge right now that we are going to be actively inviting as many people as we can to church this Christmas. Can we do that? Whether it be a family who don't know Jesus, Friends who don't know Jesus, neighbors who don't know Jesus, colleagues at work who don't know Jesus, random people on the bus or on the train, just strike up a conversation. Can we be brave this month and be inviting people to church? Can we be brave and step out of our comfort zones so that people can follow the star that leads them to Jesus and be overjoyed and bow down and worship him?